I'm going to be reading today from Jonah 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and said to the east of the city, and made a and sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from the left, and also much cattle? And this is the word of God. Well, it has been uh, a few weeks. We had a snow day, and then uh, I went to Africa and just got back, and so I've missed being with you. It's good to be back. Um, We are finishing Jonah today, so I want to remind you of some things as we finish out this uh, great book of uh, Jonah. Uh, uh, It's a familiar story, but there are some nuances that we tend to forget, and that's what I want to talk about today. Jonah, in chapter 1, God tells him to go to Nineveh, and Jonah does the exact opposite. He heads straight uh, toward uh, uh, the west when God says to go east. Uh, Jonah, who hates the Ninevites because Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, Assyria coming against Israel again and again, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. So he doesn't, uh, he heads, gets on a boat going across the Mediterranean Sea. As he is doing so, uh, God brings a storm. The storm tosses the boat. They toss the cargo and ultimately they toss Jonah, right? They cast lots. The lot falls on Jonah. It is clear that Jonah is the guy who's causing the storm. And so Jonah is thrown overboard. Chapter 2, he's drowning in the ocean and as he, in the sea. And as he is drowning in the Mediterranean Sea, he begins to cry out to God. Uh, uh, not out of the belly of the fish, but out of the sea at first. He's crying to God to save him. And God answers his prayer in uh, chapter 2 by sending a fish. Uh, a giant fish comes, and when the giant fish comes uh, to uh, uh, swallow Jonah, he is indeed rescued. And then we get to chapter 3. Uh, 
Jonah finally is able to go back. Uh, Now uh, spewed, spit up on land. He is able to head back toward uh, 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 Nineveh, and he does so. And uh, as he heads toward Nineveh, the city is described as massive, this massive city. He makes a day's journey into it, and when he gets there, he preaches this simple message. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days. And Jonah then is finished. Uh, The word spreads. And to his surprise, and probably to ours, if we've never heard the story before, they repent. From the greatest to the smallest, from the king to the uh, peasant, from the human to the animal, they put on sackcloth, they get in ashes, they call out to God, and they say, sorry. And then we get to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Jonah's response, probably if we had never heard the story before, or if you haven't, it's new to you today, uh, is surprising. He's mad. I mean, could you imagine Billy Graham back in the day going to do a crusade? He goes into a city. People come in droves as they did at the end of the service. And he's angry because they repent. Jonah is angry. He's angry because they repent, and that's where we discover him today. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prays in anger. Uh, I'm convinced you prayed uh, those angry prayers. I have. Uh, Listen to Jonah's angry prayer. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? Now, all of a sudden, we know why Jonah didn't want to go. Uh, Jonah said, back when you originally called me to go to Nineveh, did I not say this to you? What is it? Is this not what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarsus, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Uh, Jonah, in his anger, reveals his personal knowledge of God. Uh, I think we underestimate Jonah a lot as we study him, but one thing we know from this, Jonah knew God. He knew him. And I want to make a claim this morning that at first listen, you may struggle with, and here is my claim, only God is gracious. Only God is gracious. Now, when I say this, perhaps you think of your dear, sweet grandmother and the way she loved you and the way she always uh, catered to your needs. And you think, my grandmother was gracious. How is it that you can say only God is gracious? Or perhaps as you sit here, you hear that statement and you think of your favorite teacher who, when you were struggling, uh, came to your need and uh, really seemed to care personally for you. How is it, Jerry, that you could say uh, that she wasn't gracious, that only God is gracious? Or perhaps you sit here and your wife had an affair and you took her back. And tried to make it work. Was that not on your part a gracious act? 
How is it then that I can make the claim that only God is gracious? Uh, So the onus is on me to prove my claim. Uh, Let's jump in and look at Jonah's prayer. He says, I knew you to be gracious, a gracious God. So I did a little word study, and that word gracious appears 13 times in the Old Testament, and every single time it only applies to God. 13 times the word gracious appears, 13 times it applies to God. Gracious and merciful. Merciful, interestingly enough, appears 13 times, and 13 times applies to God. Jonah says, I knew you to be gracious and merciful. Um, I looked up the word mercy. It is called compassionate restraint shown toward an offender, an enemy, or other person in one's power. Mercy is when you're speeding, you get pulled, and the trooper says you were speeding. You say, yes, I was, and he gives you a warning instead of the real deal. That's mercy. Mercy always involves someone in power, someone with less power, and the person in power shows restraint or constraint toward the other. Does God do that with Jonah? Yes. Don't forget, this is Jonah who ran from God. He, he's cost uh, Uh, the sailors their cargo, which is now in the Mediterranean Sea. He has uh, cost uh, the sailors uh, a a lot of years on their lives. They thought they were dying. He's a bad reputation for God. He's God's number one emissary here, and he's making God look bad. And uh, God has to order up a fish to rescue him. Jonah has caused God a lot of grief. He finally preaches a simple six or seven word sermon. And when he does, uh, he's angry when God doesn't rain fire down from heaven and destroy the Ninevites. If you are Jonah's boss, I think you're ready to fire him. But God is gracious in his mercy. God is gracious in his mercy. Notice God's merciful act. He looks at Jonah and he asks him a question. I love it. Uh, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Do you know what's interesting about that question? When your kids get angry, how do you respond? When your friend gets angry, how do you respond? Usually with what emotion? Anger. Their anger somehow spurs anger in you, and there's an exchange back and forth, husbands and wives. Know this. God answers Jonah mercifully. It's a simple question. Do you do well to be angry? (laughs) If I'm Jonah's boss, I'm chewing him out right now. Not God. Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Don't miss this. Only God is gracious. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. 
God, in his graciousness, calls the plant to grow over the pouting prophet. I think when we would be prone to fire him, God is prone to protect him. Only God is gracious. We have to go back through uh, Jonah to see a thread woven here. And what is the thread? God is, this gracious God is also powerful. He's powerful over creation. In in verse 4 of chapter 1, he hurled a great wind. In verse 17 of chapter 1, he ordered up a large fish. Here, he causes a plant to grow. Later, he causes a worm to come. And later, he causes a scorching east wind. This gracious God has unlimited power over creation. You see, it's one thing if I'm limited in my power and I show grace. That's one thing. But what if I have unlimited power that I could do anything I want, anytime I want, to anyone I want, and I am gracious? Could it be in that instant that that is true graciousness and that anything less than that is not gracious? That if... All power to command the wind and the waves, the worm and the plant and the storm are at my disposal, but yet I'm gracious. There is something to be said for the restraint of that unlimited We struggle with this uh, because people do gracious things. It was a cold November night when Officer DePrimo was on duty in New York City. He's a counterterrorism officer. Um, He was at a different post than usual, and he looked down the street and saw an old man lying there with no shoes on. His feet were so weathered from the storm that uh, the officer could see the blisters from his distance down the street. And he was moved to compassion. He then went to the old man and said, Sir, do you have shoes? And the guy said, I've never owned a pair of shoes. What size do you wear? And he found a sketcher's down the way and walked in and said, I need a pair of warm boots, a pair of socks, size 12. Don't care what they cost. Paid about a hundred bucks and walked back to the man. The officer wasn't trying to get any attention at all. He knelt down in that street and began to put the socks on that man's feet. If it hadn't been for a tourist from Arizona Watching this unfold, no one ever would have known. But she did, posted it on Facebook. Almost overnight, it had 600,000 shares. There's the picture. Would you not say that is a gracious act? Yeah. How is it that I could see that picture and say, only God is gracious. 
How? Let's keep trucking. God is gracious in his mercy. Secondly, God is gracious in his patience. Jonah says, I I knew you to be a gracious and merciful God. Next phrase, slow to anger. Uh, That's self-explanatory. Slow to anger. God is gracious in his patience. God causes a plant to grow. How does Jonah react or respond? Not too well. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. God is gracious in his mercy. God is gracious in his patience. Because by this point, Jonah's history. All right, I'm firing him. I'm done with Jonah. Uh, He's got no more chances. He's run out. Woven through this four-chapter story is patience. How do we see it? God is patient in that when the fish swallows Jonah, Jonah gets three days and nights to figure it out. Three days and nights alone with God in the belly of a fish. God is gracious in his patience with the Ninevites. You see, the Ninevites, the Ninevites were guilty of horrendous crimes, crimes against one another. We discovered that in chapter 3, and they were known to be fearless warriors. The things that the Assyrians did when they ultimately took Israel out are unthinkable. They... They're on the level of ISIS today. So if I'm God, and that's Nineveh, I'm going to send my messenger in, and I might give them 40 seconds to figure it out. I might push for 40 minutes. 40 days? 40 days. God is gracious in his patience. Some of you think that you can outlast God. You think you can outrun God. You think that somehow you'll get out from and under God's God's pursuing arm, his, his pursuing love for you, his gracious patience. But God was patient with Jonah with, with three days and nights. He's patient with these evil Ninevites by giving them 40 days. Only God is gracious. But Jonah is perched upon the city. He's uh, up on the hillside. He's gone to the east of the city. He's sitting there. Why? Because somewhere tucked away in his memory has to be Sodom and Gomorrah. Jonah knows the Bible. He's a prophet. He knows the Torah. Uh, So he's got to remember, I've seen this before. You know, this is act two of the same movie. Movie number one, fire fell, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the sequel. And the sequel is fire is going to fall and destroy Nineveh. I, being the prophet that I am, and a writing prophet at that, will live to tell the story. 
And so I'm going to watch. You sit there, and I sit here today, and we go, Jonah, could you ever imagine? But how many of you heard the Johnny Manziel story this week and said, well, I knew that was going to happen. Hmm? I saw that coming. Well, why don't we give you a reward for having a knack for the obvious? We all saw that coming. Right? How easy it is to say after the fact, I knew that was going to happen. So? Jonah sits there. And you've got to think that he thought Sodom and Gomorrah number two. But Jonah had to have read Genesis 19. He had to have read this conversation. How did it go? Abraham and Sarah have a visit from some angels. And the angels show up, and when they do, they, uh, they tell them they're going to have a baby. <laughs> and Sarah's like, Whatever. She's old, in her 60s now. Abraham believes. He prepares a meal, serves the angels, and the angels are getting ready to leave, and something happens. I must tell you, every time I read this, I wonder, would I be that guy? Like, would I, would I care enough for what unfolds next. The angels look at each other and they say, should we tell Abraham what God is about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Should we? Like I wonder, does does God ever say, "Should, should, should we let Jerry in on And am I quiet enough to hear? Am I close enough to listen? And so the angels talk and they decide to go to Abraham. And they said, Abraham, um, that wicked, those wicked cities, twin cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, God's going to destroy them. What, What did Abraham say? Saw that coming. I knew when Lot left to go down there, what would happen? Greener pastures, grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. I knew it, what you get coming to you, Lot. Nothing like that happened, Abraham. Could you hold a minute? God, 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 it's me, Abraham. If you could find... 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Would you spare that city? God says, yeah. They go. Abe, Abe, there aren't 50 God, God, 40, 
if you could find 40, would you please? Abe, there aren't 40. God, it's me again. It's me. 30. 30. Yeah. Yeah. Counts. Abe. Abe, sorry. There aren't 30. God, don't don't weary from my coming to you, but 20? If there are 20, God, 20 righteous, would you spare the city? God, yes. He says, yes. And there aren't 20, and Abe goes down again. God, just 10. Uh, If there are 10 righteous in the city, would you spare the city for 10 righteous? Only God is gracious. God is gracious in his patience. And he says to Abe, yes, and counts, and there aren't 10 righteous. And so... I'm just assuming the same messengers head to Sodom. And they knock on Lot's door. And they say, God's about to rain fire down on this place. The city is so depraved, the men are so eaten up with their homosexual desires that they beat Lot's door down to... to to get at those men. Lot, who has taken on, as you will do when you live among the sinful, their way of thinking, says, here have my daughters. They, of course, don't want his daughters. They continue to beat at the door. God strikes those men with blindness. And God was willing to save that for 10 righteous people. God is gracious in his patience. Only God is gracious. This is a haunting And likewise, encourage in verse Genesis 19, verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out. Wow. Wow. I've never been able to get over that. I've given up on people. I've thrown the towel in. I've said they'll never change. 
They've gone too far. They've done too much. They've been too bad. Abraham didn't. But, but well beyond that, God didn't. God was patient with the sinners in Sodom and Gomorrah, with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was patient with Abraham, who who feared of tiring God. He was patient. God is gracious in his patience. Only God is gracious. And Jonah prays. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding, overflowing in steadfast love. God is gracious in his love. How much so the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. I love this. God, looking at his pouting prophet, says, ooh, sunburn. I'm assuming Jonah was bald like me. And and God wanted to protect that bald, stubborn prophet's head. And he causes a plant to grow. God still said, that's my boy. You see, when you have children, there are two ways you say that. If they're good... They're being good. You go, that's my boy. In our family, if they aren't, I'll say, honey, that's your boy. (laughs) Or she'll do the reverse, right? God looks at his pouting, stubborn, rebellious blockhead of a prophet and says, let's cause a plant to grow up over his head. Why? Because God loves Jonah. He loves him. Jonah knew that God is a God of steadfast love. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, I love it again. You blockhead, you bonehead, you idiot. No, Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? You pity a temporary plant. Should I not pity permanent people whom I made? And not only that, I love the cattle. God is saying, those creatures, we sang that, all creatures of our God and King. I love the people, the sinners of Nineveh, I love. And even the cows. God says, 
I love. God is gracious in his steadfast love. God says, I feel sorry for sinners. Aren't you glad? Is there anybody in the room this morning who's glad that God feels sorry for sinners? Say amen. 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 Yeah. Yeah. He has pity. Jesus. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. This is up in Galilee. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion, he had pity. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is saying, I need people who love like I love. I need people who feel like I feel. I need people who see like I see. I need people who hurt like I hurt. Only God is gracious. God is gracious in his love for Jonah. He's gracious in his love for the Ninevites. Jonah needed the grace he couldn't give. You and I need the grace we struggle to give. Only God who needs no grace but gives it anyway. Only God who has unlimited power, but does not use it to our demise is gracious. A week ago today, we worshiped in Africa under a mango tree in a village called Gatir. Gatir is uh, about two hours from what they would call civilization. It was a miracle we found the place. We got stuck once in our safari bus and pushed it out of the sand, and we arrived. And there they were under that mango tree. About 50 of them, they began to sing, We Worshiped. It was powerful. On the way over on the flight, as I was falling asleep, God gave me a sermon. And I envisioned myself preaching that sermon at some point. I wasn't sure where I would preach it. I just knew that I would. And I'm preaching in chapel later this semester at Montreat. I thought about that. Maybe preaching at another place, and I thought about that, and... And I fell asleep preaching. As we were headed into the village, I thought, I might be preaching that sermon today. And so sure enough, it came time to preach. And Pastor Sheridan looked over at me and he said, well, you preach. In Africa, that's advanced notice. And uh, I preached. Four languages spoken under that mango tree as it was being interpreted. And I was concerned about the passage. They speak Sarer. Uh, 
the Bible was handed to the guy who could read it. It was Second Chronicles 19. I thought, oh no, he'll never find this passage. These are young believers. He'll never find this passage. Seedy, our interpreter, is an old uh, faithful follower of Christ. I said, Seedy, sorry. It's Second Chronicles 19. The guy who was to read sat down, opened up his Bible. I said, Seedy, you'll have to help him. Seedy looked down, pointed to it, and said, he's there. How in the world he opened up that worn Bible and it fell to Second Chronicles 19. I have a guess that the God who gave me the sermon may have been able to arrange that. It's just a thought. But it was the pre-story that was most profound. You see, we met the pastor's wife. You'll see her picture. Her name is Esther. That's Esther. Esther and Sherdna together have six children. The pastor... Uh, on Friday, we visited this village uh, before uh, the pastor and I talked. He speaks English, uh, and he and I talked. Sharp guy. And as we were talking, uh, he's from the city. And I said, well, how did you end up in the village? He said, it's Esther's village. Her family, this is where she's from. Sheridan did not prefer to be in the village. I said, well, why? He said, well... Esther was crazy woman. I said, really? He said, yes, she ran naked through the village. He said she was possessed by a demon. And that demon caused her to take all her clothes off and run naked through that village. Pastor came to preach, no change. The witch doctor tried, couldn't do anything. The Muslim leader, leader in the village tried, couldn't fix her. He said nobody could fix Esther. One day an evangelist was coming to the village. The demon in her told her the evangelist was coming. He said she could see that evangelist coming before he was within eyesight. And the demon in her told her to kill him. And sure enough, when that evangelist got there, she had knife in hand, and she ran and jumped on his back, ready to slice his throat. It took several men to get her off of him. And then they said, I love this, to that evangelist, run! And Sheridan said, because when that demon was in her, she could run as fast as a horse. He said, so we had to give the guy a head start. And so he ran, and they held her down while he ran for his life. And in his haste, he left the Bible. And she picked it up and began to read God's great, inerrant, unmistakable word. And when she began to read, Sheridan said, the scales started to come off her eyes. The next evangelist who came into the village, she didn't try to kill. She trusted Christ as her Savior. Wow. Only God is gracious. 
gracious enough to save a woman who tried to kill his preacher. Gracious enough to save a girl who ran naked through her village. Gracious enough to turn her into the pastor's wife. Gracious enough to turn her into a magnificent example to everyone in that village that God who is gracious, God who is powerful can change her. And and Sheridan said, she's living testimony to everybody in the village. The witch doctor couldn't do it. The Muslim leader couldn't do it. Only God is gracious. Amen? He's gracious. How much so. God is gracious for our sake. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Esther is the righteousness of God. Whatever broken record has been playing through your head this week of past sins that haunt you, only God is gracious enough. to dress you up in his righteousness. Two kinds of people in this room I want to speak to for a moment. There are those of you who came in here today and this was your last ditch effort and you thought when you walked in, there's no hope for me. I've gotten drunk again. I've looked at pornography again. I've blown it again. I've gone too far. I can't, I can't be fixed. I would direct you to a God who, though unlimited in power, is also abounding in love. He knew you'd be here. He's good like that. And he's ready to change your life. And then I would speak to the one who's never known him. Who has never trusted Christ like Esgardo a week ago Thursday. Never trusted Christ as your Savior. Who today can face to face meet a gracious God who is strong to save and will and love you until you see him one day. Would you bow your heads?
We won't do music today. I do want to pray for you. This is nothing other than prayer. But I want to pray for you. Did it in the early. Want to do it now. If you are here today, nobody's looking around. No one. I'll look so that I know who to pray for. And you say, Jerry, I walked in today not knowing Christ. No relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Yet, there's something in me that is drawing me to him right now. I want to know him as my Savior. Would you pray for me? If that is you, just slip up your hand where you are so that I can pray for you this morning. You want to know Christ as your Savior. Secondly, if you're in here this morning and you are a believer and you have lost sight of the graciousness of God and like so many of us reverted back to your works and your good deeds and the things you can do to fix yourself and your sin kind of hangs over your head like a cloud and you want that gracious God to reach deep and forgive and you'd like prayer for that would you just slip up your hand thank you, thank you yes sir, yes ma'am, yes sir yes ma'am, thank you others you you need to come to that gracious God. Father, I pray for these who lifted their hands, a trusting act in and of itself of you. You have reminded us today that you are gracious in your mercy, gracious in your patience, gracious in your love. You love the vilest sinner. You love pagans in Nineveh, homosexuals in Sodom and Gomorrah. You you love repeat offenders. Your blood runs deep, Christ, and long. Only you, God, are gracious. I pray that people whose hands were lifted would rest in your finished work, Christ, on the cross. You who knew no sin, who became sin for us, that in you, we might become the righteousness of God. God, only you are gracious. Jesus, you are the epitome of that grace. And we pray this in your name. Amen.